Lord, thank you that we get to be here in this amazing chapel together this morning with this amazing set. And I, I just look at the set and I'm so excited for my kids to be here this summer and hear the gospel. But Lord, this morning we are excited to be here and um, learn what you have for us in Philippians 3. Help us to attend well to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, you know what? Let me show you. Let me, uh, last night, Julie showed us a picture of her family, and it's so helpful to, to see people in context. So let me just show you where I'm coming from. These are my people. Yeah. Um, so Eric has been my husband for 34 years after we dated for six long yeah. years. Go. Yes. And, and I have four kids, age 23 down to 16, all Asian, if you can tell. Um, I can say they're absolutely beautiful because they don't look like me, Aww. right? I feel like if your kids look exactly like you and you call them beautiful, is that arrogant? I don't know. Anyway, they're beautiful. and They don't look like me. Anyway, those are my people. They're in La Mirada. Eric and I became... Um, started to become parents for the first time when we were 44 years old. So anyway, you know, a little late start, but so, so thankful. God is so, so good. And I'll talk a little bit about them as we go. But I love when God reminds me of his transforming power in my life. It makes me cry. Because God, that's what he does. He transforms people. And as I was preparing this message, I thought about my high school yearbook. Isn't it a beauty? 1982, do the math, okay, there you go, 1982, this was my yearbook, and I was not a Christian, and I was not raised in a Christian family, and everyone had to put a senior quote in their yearbook, and mine was really lame. Mine was about tears and rainbows, and I don't know, something, something lame, but my high school crush put, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And so I went to my high school crush and I said, what does that mean? Where did it come from? Why are you putting that in there? <laughs> and he told me it was from the Bible. And I was like, the Bible? Do you have a Bible? Do you read the Bible? Anyway, that high school crush led me to the Lord and you just saw his picture there with my four kids. I know. I'm so thankful for Eric that he shared Jesus with me. As far as I know, in our little high school in Connecticut, he was the only Christian. And he was faithful to tell people about Jesus, and I was one of them. And I'm so thankful. That's the passage we're going to look at today. So I am so humbled sometimes by how God has transformed my life and how he chooses to use us. Because when I was 18 years old, I had no idea what Philippians was. And now I'm get to teach that this morning, right? Yes, say thank you, God. Thank you, God. <laughs> well, you know who else's life was transformed completely upside down? Paul's. And I relate to Paul in that way so much. Who was Paul before he was Apostle Paul? Throw something out. Saul, yes, a descriptor. What was he like? Persecutor? Yes. Proud, I imagine. What else? Self-righteous. Privileged. Yes, and then he meets the Lord on the road to Damascus. Everything is flipped upside down, and then he says this. He says so many amazing things. 
I love Paul's letters. But he says this, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is what he had before, or he thought he did, that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here's our outline this morning based on this amazing passage. Number one, treasure the prize. Number two, admit that you don't own it yet. And number three, press on toward the goal. Paul treasured this prize. We see it in all the choices he made in his life after that encounter with the Lord. He had a singular focus, eye of the tiger, which... By the way, the Rocky movie, I, the Tiger Rocky movie, was my first date with my boyfriend when we were 18. Oh, by the way, th- we forgot the picture. Andre, my bad. There we are oh. at 18. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, we look a little different, but that, that was us. Um, lost my place. Oh, yeah, our first date was I, the Tiger. Anyway, um, but Paul had a singular focus in his life. He was focused on winning the prize of intimacy with Jesus. That's what he lived for. He prized it above everything else. He said, that I may know him. And he puts everything else in perspective. All he wanted to know was Jesus intimately, to gain Christ, to be found in Christ, to, be walk, to, to walk in him. This language that we see all through his letters, to identify with him, that's the prize. That was Paul's joy. And that was his reason that he endured so much difficulty in ministry and the persecution and the imprisonment. He lived and eventually he died to know Christ. That's what he was all about. He wanted to know him. He prized it. So number two, we have to admit that we don't own it yet like Paul did. His humility here is so refreshing. He hasn't arrived. He doesn't fully comprehend yet. He tells us twice, not that I've obtained it, and I don't consider that I've made it my own yet. It's like he's telling us twice so we don't miss it. It's like he's saying, for real. As my, when my son texts me sometimes, if he knows, I might be like, are you telling me the truth? He'll say, FR, for real. FR, mom. Sometimes we'll say FR, FR, FR. For real, for real, for real, mom. Anyway, it's like Paul's saying for real because he says it twice. It's not, I don't own it yet. I'm not there yet. I don't fully prize the Lord Jesus like I should. He hasn't grasped it fully. He hasn't seized it fully. 
And in this, he denies perfectionism, his own and ours, right? He's saying, we can't be perfect in this. He's denying works righteousness. He's saying, you can't do enough things to treasure Jesus rightly. And in his culture, this humility would have been striking because in Greco-Roman culture, it was good to be proud. <laughs> it brought you honor. And he's denying all of that. Humility was not something that, that people respected then. And we see Paul really wanting to be humble. He, but here's the thing. Paul had something so much greater than worldly honor that he cared about. And he tells us just before, in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, actually, I, I think Megan was um, referring to these last night, but he tells us that Jesus was the one who emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. So the one that he wants to be like, who is almighty God, humbled himself to the point of death. And he wants to grasp and apprehend Jesus, so he needs to be on this lifelong pursuit to, an, to apprehend, to understand, to seize what it means to know him intimately. And he says he doesn't fully own it yet, so he's on this arduous journey through his life to hold on to the one who is holding on to him. Have you heard that song, Hold On to the One Who's Holding On to You? It's a beautiful idea. So Paul owns it, but he doesn't fully, I mean, Jesus owns Paul, but Paul doesn't fully understand and fully grasp yet what it means to have the intimacy with Jesus that he he treasures so much. So this idea, hold on to the one who's holding on to you, reminds me of my son Sam, who was six when we adopted him. We just recently celebrated um, 11 years since he joined our family, but when he was six years old, we were his fourth family. And he had had a really tough six years, and he had not been loved properly, and he had not received affection. And we were told by a social worker that he did not like affection. He didn't want to touch other people, and he didn't want them to touch him. And I will tell you, from the minute I met that little boy, he was, I called him my little koala bear because he wrapped around me, and I carried him around for weeks because he just longed for affection. They were totally wrong about him. And he still does. still comes in our bed almost every night at 17 and says, Mom, will you rub my back? And I say, I'm super tired. Yes, I will, because one day you're going to stop doing this. So I'm, it's an hour past my bedtime, but yes, I will rub your back. Because a year from now, you might be in college, and you may never ask me for a back rub again. But here's the thing. When he was my little koala, I held him, right? I had him under the butt like you do with kids, but he's holding on to me. Did he have to hold on to me? I wouldn't have dropped him if he let go. But he's holding on to the one who's holding on to him. And I like that picture for the Lord because we, we want to pursue intimacy with him. And he, but he's got us. He's got us in that journey. I want to be like a little koala bear with Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus has ownership. He had over, ownership over Paul. And this is what it... Jesus' ownership of us looked like he, he chose us, he adopts us, he pays for us. 
He identifies with us. He shares his victory with us. He calls us friend. He covers us. He relates to us as brother. He protects us. He sustains us. And he shed his blood for us. Well, what will it look like when Paul fully grasps that Jesus is his own and he makes it his own? It tells us in verse 3 of this chapter, verses 10 through 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So he tells us what it's going to look like. He says, I'm not there yet, but when I am, this is what it's going to look like. I will know the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Well, so many times when I read Paul, and this is why I just love Paul and can't wait to meet him in heaven, but so many times when I read him, I relate to him. And this is one of those times because I want to just shout and say, I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't own it yet. And that is good news for us. Because we can put Paul and other heroes in the Bible up on a pedestal, but he's not there yet. He hasn't arrived. So we can learn from him. This is good news for us. He has not fully obtained it or fully apprehended Christ yet. And yet, God uses him in such profound ways. He turned the world upside down, didn't he? He came to Christ, and he asked the Lord to use him. And even when he was still blind, and Ananias comes to him and lays his hands on him and said, the Lord has sent me to you, and you're going to have a job to do. He took Jesus to to the far ends of the earth as far as he knew what the earth was at that point. And we are a result of that, right? People telling people about Jesus, telling other people about Jesus, telling other people until my high school crush tells me about Jesus. (laughs) And here we are. And then God brings four kids from Asia to my family and we tell them about Jesus. I mean, it's amazing. So you don't, here's the point, you don't have to fully have obtained it, to use Paul's language. You don't have to be perfect in your intimacy with the Lord or treasure him as highly as he deserves to be used by him. He wants to use us to turn the world upside down in our own little world, right? It might be your home. It might be your neighbors. Paul's world was big. Ours might be way smaller. But when we walk in faith, God uses us like he did Paul to increase his kingdom. So we should be encouraged by that. Paul wanted more of Jesus until the end of his days. I want more of Jesus. We need more of Jesus. So we need to treasure the prize. We have to admit that we don't fully own it yet. And we have to press on toward the goal. Verse 14 tells us, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Well, pressing on to the goal can be hard work. Pressing on to any goal can be hard work. Right now, I'm trying to encourage uh, two two 17-year-old boys to press on to the goal of graduating from high school. (laughs) It's so inappropriate to claim senioritis when you're not a senior yet. But anyway, they're having a hard time pressing on to the goal. All of our goals, if they're worth anything, are challenging (laughs) to press on toward. But why was it worth it to Paul? Because the goal was so great. The prize was so great. You don't strain for a worthless prize. It's got to have tremendous value for you to to work hard and strain for something. Paul says that I may know him. That's the prize for Paul. The prize is knowing Christ, he told us in verses 10 and 11. To have intimacy with him, to have life with him, to walk in him. A relationship so close that you know him and the power of his resurrection and you share in his sufferings. And you become like him in his death. It's worth everything to Paul. Paul said no to so many things in order to pursue Jesus. It makes every other accomplishment pale in comparison. We see that in Paul's life. There was a song playing when you walked in here. I don't know if you noticed it, but it's something that I heard um, as I was preparing this message. And it's a song by Jamie Kimmett, and it's called Prize Worth Fighting For. That works. That fits. And here are a few lines from that song. Your love is my reward. The prize worth fighting for. Every day is just another struggle. Every choice is an act of war. We've got to pray, we've got to press on to the prize worth fighting for. And we see Paul doing that. He is straining, he is fighting, he's pressing on, even though he met so much difficulty in his life with Jesus. So, verse 13 helps us. He says, he has just told us, I'm not there yet, but he says, one thing I do. Okay, so... Oh my goodness, one thing you do. I can't wait to read this verse, right? What is he going to tell us is the one thing we need to do if we want to have more intimacy with the Lord. But first, let's ask ourselves, what would you say, one thing I do? I mean, really, that's not hypothetical. What would you say? Yeah, pray. That's a good answer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, some of the bad answers I can think of that I would give, well, one thing I do, I ignore it, or I compare myself to other people, and I say, well, I'm pursuing the Lord. I'm, I'm treasuring the prize more than some other people I know. You could compare. You could complain that it's, it's too hard. You could distract yourself for sure. Yeah, you could distract yourself with lots of other things. There's lots of things we could do. We could just quit. But Paul says, one thing I do. One thing gets his energy. One thing is his life's work, he tells us. One thing occupies his prayers. Someone over here said pray, but it's a little dark, and I couldn't tell where it's coming from. But yes, 
He says, I press on toward the goal. Press on toward the goal. How? He says, two, two things. The one thing I do, but the one thing involves two things. <laughs> Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Okay, so let's think about forgetting what lies behind. We might assume that forgetting what lies behind has to do about forgetting the past, the things that drag us down, the sinful choices that we've made that we think define us, right? The things that whisper in our ear, you're not really a Christian, or you're certainly not a good one because of that thing that you did in high school. I'm never going to let you forget it. This is just a game that you're playing. Or it may be the memory of something that was done to you that you think defines you. Well, it's true that all of this does lie behind, and it's true that we need to forget it. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul, when he says... One thing I do, he is forgetting the accomplishments and the identifiers that gave him confidence in the flesh, all his achievements that he might have boasted in. It's way different than I think what we normally think of as the things we need to forget. He lists them. If you look back in verse uh, Let's see, 4 through 6 of chapter 3. So right before our passage, he lists things that he used to allow to identify himself. Circumcised on the eighth day. That's just obeying the law, right? Doing, doing the right Jewish things. Of the people of Israel. So that has to do with his family line. The tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, as to the law... A Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. These are examples of how he was sort of at the top of the pack. <laughs> and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He kept the law. These are the things he's listing for us that described him, that identified him. And he's saying... that these are things that he needs to forget. Add to that all the good things that he had done since he became a follower of Jesus, all the ministry, all the preaching of God's word, all the discipleship. He adds all of that, all of the, the things that we would see as really Beautiful, faithful, good things. All of those things he's saying, forget them. They all made him honorable in the sight of people. And they all could have given him confidence in his righteous standing before God. And he calls them trash. his pharisaical obedience, his law-keeping, his earned righteousness, his impressive family, his quality education, he intentionally forgets it. 
his blamelessness. He intentionally forgets it. Extreme zeal intentionally forgets it. And he keeps forgetting it because we know, because Paul's enough like us, that it would keep popping into your mind. Well, you know, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee after all. I did lead all these people to Jesus. You have to intentionally keep forgetting it. Well, this message is for you and for me. If we want to prize intimacy with Jesus, as Jesus wants us to, we have to forget the things that used to define us or that maybe we feel like are defining us right now. Our credentials, our family line, our education, the things we've done right, the things that set us a little bit apart from our peers. And so often, the things that get us noticed or get us praised from other people. It's hard to say no or to ignore, forget in the things that get praise from other people. That's why we have to intentionally keep forgetting it because it's brought to mind. Oh, that thing you did was so great. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't encourage each other. As a matter of fact, I think if the one huge thing we need in the body of Christ is Christian women encouraging Christian women. (laughs) Yeah. As sisters, as we seek to be faithful in this life, But Paul tells us they're all rubbish compared to the prize. Again, this is about prioritizing. It's not that those things are bad necessarily. They're bad if we prop ourselves up on them and we think they give us some sort of standing before God and his people instead of recognizing that actually humility, where we just want more of Jesus is where we need to be at. So, We have to commit ourselves to not propping ourselves up on those accomplishments. They distract us from the prize. And worse, they can deceive us into thinking that our righteousness is earned. And when we rightly understand the gospel, we realize that righteousness cannot be earned. It's a gift from the Lord. Free, gift, grace, all grace. So when we fall into propping ourselves up on things that we've accomplished or that things that people praise us for, we're, we're adding to the gospel a little bit if we think that that gives us some better standing before the Lord. Okay, here's what I want you to do for a second. You're going to turn to your neighbor and you're going to say, Something along these lines. My fill-in-the-blank is rubbish compared to intimacy with Jesus. Fill-in-the-blank. You know what it is. What are, it doesn't have to be the thing. It doesn't have to be a secret thing. But what is something that you, can, you find yourself leaning on a little bit to kind of identify yourself in a way that might keep you from intimacy with the Lord? Okay, my blank is rubbish compared to treasure of knowing Jesus.
Okay. It should only take a second. One sentence from one of you and one sentence from the other of you. The Bible says it's all, it's all rubbish compared to intimacy with Jesus. I hope saying it out loud helps convince you. That's why we said it out loud. <laughs> In fact, it can keep us from pressing on toward the goal. You have to let it go in order to strain forward. Step off the things that used to prop us up to count our gains as losses for the sake of Christ. Okay, so we've forgotten. We're going to work on forgetting what lies behind, and then we can strain forward to what lies ahead. And if our arms are full of either the hard things or the good things, you can't run. You can't run when your arms are full. We might be able to saunter, but Paul's telling us to strain. He's telling us to go all out, to give it all we've got. We have one life, one life. To do whatever it takes to know him because intimacy with him is our prize. So what comes to mind for me when I think of straining? I'll tell you. The Winter Olympics. I love the Winter Olympics. I'm from Connecticut, so winter sports are my thing. In um, 2018, Jesse Diggins, if any of you remember, was a cross-country skier. And it had been 42 years since an American had won a medal in cross-country skiing. Of course, because we compete against Norwegians and people who practically live on skis. But it had been 42 years. And do you know an American woman had never won a medal in cross-country skiing? And so 2018, I have a picture to show you of just Jesse Diggins crossing that finish line. Yes. Look at that. Okay, you guys, that is straining. <laughs> She beat that Swedish skier by 0.19 seconds. Wow. It was close. And then when she crossed that line, she collapsed on the snow. Because she had, she, had really, <laughs> she had really given it her all. She thrust her ski out there toward the finish line. Uh, it couldn't have been closer, really. Straining doesn't always look this dramatic. But like an elite athlete, it does entail saying no to lots of things to free you up to say yes to greater things, right? To pursue things that you prize the most. In that way, our straining is similar. When I think of a time that I strained, I think about uh, 2007, 2008, when we were pursuing adopting our oldest daughter. She was in Asia. There were two countries that needed to communicate and agree that this adoption should happen. It was a year and a half of paperwork and meetings and just, uh, I strained. I strained because I knew there was a little girl in an orphanage who was waiting for us to walk in and just grab her and take her home. <laughs> I strained like I hadn't in other, even in sports and things, it, because the prize was so great to me. I said no to other things so that I had time to do all the things I had to do to get that little girl in our family. I treasured it above anything else in my life. 
that year, I, w- I would say, anything, you know, any other of my responsibilities, and nothing could have kept me from getting all that paperwork done. Straining forward is possible here and now as a student and as a mom and as a neighbor and as a church member and as an employee and as a wife. I mean, Paul was straining forward in prison at the end of his life. And so you can do it at your kitchen table or your dorm room or your office at work. Because it's, it's about intentionally orienting your life so that you know Christ better. And it might look so undramatic, like, that, like Jesse Diggins in the Olympics. <laughs> but reading your Bible, <laughs> because that's where he's chosen to reveal himself to us. And making room for it. You've got to say no to things so you have time and room. I have to say no to cute golden retriever videos on Instagram. (laughs) I have two golden retrievers. I love those videos. I could do that for the hour that I wake up in the morning, or I could say no to it. I actually had to put an elastic hair band around my phone for a while so that when I picked up my phone to look on social media, I was reminded by my hair band to put it down. We need to listen to things and watch things and hang out with people who point us toward the Lord. I was thinking about the beginning of COVID. I was uh, obsessed with reading news because it was very, our country, it felt like our country was doing this and I, I wanted to understand both sides of all the arguments, all the unrest that was going on and I was getting a little obsessed and my friend Amanda, man, bless her, <laughs> she said, Donna, we're doing this too much. Let's try to read our Bible in 90 days. I was like, 90 days? Like, I, I do, like, the Bible in a year. And that's, a, 90 days is a third of a year. I don't know if you realize that, Amanda. <laughs> and we did it. And I'm so thankful to my friend. Do you have friends like that? Do you have women who say, I think our focus might be getting a little off. We need more of the Lord. What are we going to do? Let's go to Bible study at church. Let's listen to this podcast that just fills us up with truth so it's just spilling over. We need friends like that. These are choices we can make that in a way are like Jesse Diggins because we're saying no to some things for the better. But it all depends on what you treasure. I cannot treasure Golden Retriever videos like I do God's Word because God's Word is where he says, I'm going to show you who I am and I'm going to show you who you are in me and I'm going to show you how I want you to live, because you're mine. I am editing as I go, because people, we are almost done. Let me see. Here's some other ways. Here's some other ways of what it looks like when we're straining for the thing we treasure the most. We can accept suffering with faith and joy and I don't say that lightly I have a lot of people around me who are suffering and I have suffered and I know that that's not an easy thing to say but when we when we have intimacy with the Lord he gets us through I have a friend who's suffering so much right now and I've seen her go so deep with Jesus 
we can quit habits that prevent us from devoting time to spiritual disciplines and make room in our schedule for worship and service and go deep in the life of the local church. I cannot emphasize that enough. But do you see why this is good news for us, sisters? I don't have to be a Hebrew of Hebrews. I don't have to be a Pharisee. I can just be little Donna from La Mirada. You might not think I'm little, but I feel little all the time. I just can be me saying no, like I said, to videos. I can say no to things that just keep me from the greater things that I, I say I treasure the most. I can spend my time in ways that help me to know him. And again, I don't want to be overly dramatic about this, but like that Jimmy Kimmet song that's going to be playing after I get down off this stage, you can listen. But it says, every day is just another struggle. Every choice is an act of war. And in a sense, it, it, it really is a war. Our choices really, they, they, they are a war. We get to choose every minute of every day how we're going to spend our time, what we're going to focus on, what we're going to treasure, saying no to a thousand things that frees us up to the better yes. And that is a war, in a sense. And I want to engage in that battle because I treasure the prize. Treasure the prize of knowing Jesus. And here's why we can keep going. Here's our motivation to press on. We will get the prize in all its fullness when Jesus returns. We will no longer strive and strain. We will know him intimately. We will know him fully face to face. We're just practicing now. (laughs) We press on toward the goal, the finish line for the prize, and we will receive it someday together. It'll be so beautiful (laughs) together with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. There'll be a day when we see him face to face, and we will know fully, it tells us in 1 Corinthians, even as we have been fully known. He knows us fully, and he's saying that we're going to know him fully, and that will be such a joy. And in the meantime, we can treasure the prize, admit we haven't arrived yet, we don't own it yet, and press on, press on to the goal, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for these sisters. Lord, for those here who need to recognize that you truly are a prize, impress upon those unsure hearts that you really are our worthy treasure. And for those of us who want to desire the prize above all else, I pray that you would help those precious ones to treasure intimacy with you above all else. And Lord, some of us treasure the tribes of intimacy, treasure the tribe, oh goodness, treasure, (laughs) treasure the prize of knowing you. Lord, give us endurance to press on. Lord, you are good and you are worthy of all of our 
straining. Thank you that one day we will be with you and there will be no straining and we will know fully as we have been fully known. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.